Hello everybody, uh, Sam Freeman here with the Fun Guide to Financial Matters. Uh, I'm sorry if I sound a little bit off today. Uh, I've been sick the past couple of days, so just bear with me through this. So, today's topic is Silicon Valley Bank. Pretty much the banking system in general. I'm going to go through the collapse of SVB and what that could mean for your money today. So, SVB. They're pretty much the premier bank for... Uh, tech startups. So tech companies would make deposits with them like you do with any bank, put their money in there. They thought it was safe. But SVB did end up collapsing. So it revolves around the tech industry, right? You got all these tech startups putting their money in there. But the tech industry hasn't been doing so well recently. Uh, the economy hasn't been doing so well recently. Now, what you have is all these tech companies. You've probably heard about layoffs and everything. They haven't been doing well. So they go to their bank. They need to pull out some of their deposits to keep up with operations, right? But then what happens when they go to SVB is they find out their money isn't actually in there. So to understand that, you need to understand how a bank works. So somebody will make a deposit in that bank. That bank doesn't just hold their money in the back room in a vault or anything. What they do is they loan it out and collect interest on it. They make investments with other people's money. Making investments with other people's money and keeping the profit on that, that might sound like a scam to you, but that's the banking system. So, SVB. People put their money in. Tech wasn't doing so well, so they need to withdraw their money. But... They were found with a little surprise because SVB, like any bank, is required to hold a certain percentage of deposits in reserve. But if people go for deposits, let's say that they needed to hold $20 billion in reserve. If people want over $20 billion, they don't have that money. They need to cash in some of those investments to get that money to give it to the people whose money it is. So... SVB, they had about $120, $120 billion of a bond portfolio. So, to get some of these deposits to give to people who kept withdrawing, remember, they needed to get this money back that people had deposited. They ended up selling quite a few of those bonds that they had to give it back to the people whose money it was. Now, by selling those bonds... They took a $1.8 billion loss on those bonds. Now, how does that happen? Well, you've probably heard that the Federal Reserve has been raising rates recently, right? Just the other day, they raised them another quarter of a point. That's not very good. That's been hurting the economy. They do it in the name of stopping inflation. Now, how well is that working out? Not too well. But what happens is, uh, this gets into accounting. So, SVB, they held these bonds, right? <clears throat> we'll say that they had a par value of $1,000. Now, that's the face value. We'll say that these bonds are from a few years ago. Maybe they have a 2% interest rate on them. So, it's a $1,000 par, 2% interest rate. Now, 90 billion dollars of the 120 billion dollar bond portfolio 
were in a held-to-maturity investment account. Now, that's where it gets a little bit strange with the accounting. So when you put these bonds into the held-to-maturity account, what it's saying to uh, anybody who reads your accounts is that this bank plans on holding these bonds for however long they're for. Maybe it's 10 years, maybe it's 30 years. They're holding them to their maturity date, and they're planning on collecting that $1,000 par value back, plus whatever interest they've earned over the years. But that's a problem. If you're waiting 10 years to cash in those bonds, but people want their money now, they want to pull out their deposits right now, you need to sell those bonds, right? Now, that's where rates get in. So, the government's been raising rates. The Fed has. What that causes is rates on bonds to go up, too. So, if SVB was holding bonds, you could say $1,000 par value at 2%. We'll use that to, for the example. Maybe bonds right now on $1,000 par are paying 5%. So, a smart investor would look at that and say, hey, I could get $1,000 at 2% or $1,000 at 5%. Why would I go for that 2% when I could get 5%? It just doesn't make any sense. So when SVB goes to sell these bonds to different investors so that they can get their depositors money back for them to give it to them, they need to sell these bonds at a discount. Now, in the held to maturity count, these are written down at par value. So it would say you have $1,000 for this bond. And whatever you're earning in interest, say it's at 2%, would be seen as income. So it looks like the company's making a profit, which makes the executives look very good. It gives them a bit of a payday too. But when SVB, when they were having this run on their bank, they needed to go ahead and sell these bonds. So they had to take a hit on these bonds. Because, remember, why would I want $1,000 par value bonds at 2% when I can get them at 5% right now? So to make up for this difference, SVB needs to sell them at a discount. You could say, we'll use for an example, they sold them at $800, okay? So they're worth 1000 if you hold them to maturity, plus whatever interest you get. But they need to sell them at 800 to get people's money back. And then they got to go to their depositors and say, hey, sorry about this, but we essentially gambled with your money and we lost $200 on every $1,000 you had. So they'll say, hey, we lost about 20%. Now, in bank failures, the average depositor loses about 15 to 20%. They take a 15 to 20% hit on what deposits they have in the bank. So, SVB ends up selling bonds at a $1.8 billion loss. Investors hear about this. They say, hey, I don't want my money in a bank that's losing 20% of what I deposited where I'm losing money by holding it in this bank. You get into the present value of money, too, with this. What the present value of money says is that money now is worth more than that same amount in the future. Because it has the potential to be invested. So they're pulling out their money. And they're putting them in different bank accounts. With different banks. Because they say, hey, when I keep it in your bank, you're just losing my money. 
when I put it over here, I'm at least earning a little bit of interest by holding it in there. So, the result of that is depositors tried to withdraw $42 billion in a single day. Well, regulators, of course, are going to hear about a withdrawal of this size. They seized the bank. They end up trying to auction it off. That didn't work. So now we're seeing what's going to happen with that. But you get into a problem. SVB, their average client was a tech startup. Remember, this is for tech startups, pretty much. Silicon Valley Bank. That's what they're associated with. Now, those people, around 80 to 90% of deposits were uninsured. Now, what does that mean? Well, FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, it's a government entity, what they do is if a bank fails, they will cover losses at $250,000. So if your account has $250,000 or less in there, you're good. You're going to get your money back. But remember, in bank failures, depositors usually lose about 15 to 20% on their deposits. So that means that this 80 to 90 percent of deposits that were uninsured in SVB, that money's just being erased pretty much. You're going to try to get back what you can from selling. But remember, if you're selling which a bond that you bought at $1,000 for only $800, you are losing tons of money. So people put their money in this bank thinking it was going to be safe. But now they're actually losing a ton on that. That's why people try to withdraw it. That's what a run on the bank is. The bank doesn't have enough in reserves to pay everybody. They've loaned out that money. And they've lost money on their own investments. It is not a good situation. But what the government said is something interesting. They said, hey, we usually insure $250,000. But this time, we might make an exception and insure everything. Now, that's where you get into who's going to pay for this. Bank failures in the past, U.S. taxpayers are paying for it. What FDIC does is they take money banks pay into FDIC. When a bank fails, they cover the deposits. When multiple banks fail, which is what could be happening right now, because other banks are in bad situations like this, where their accounting, their books say they have $1,000 worth of bonds, but really, with rates rising so rapidly, maybe it's worth only 800 So really, they don't have as much as they say they have. So when investors come for their money and they don't have it, that bank's going to fail too. So when multiple banks fail, there's not enough money to cover that. So the government needs taxpayers to pay into this FDIC so that they can then cover bank losses. Now, that's a big case against bank bailouts. A lot of people get mad because they say, hey, as a U.S. citizen, as a taxpayer, a bank is pretty much saying to people, hey, why don't you give me your money? I'll go and invest it, and I'll keep the profits off of your money. I'll keep the profits I made off of your money and give you your money back. With a bailout, they're basically saying, hey, I took your money, I invested it, I ended up losing on that, so I need you to pay me to cover that loss. 
That doesn't make sense. So the case against government bailouts is, why is that debt made public when profits that banks earn off of investing other people's money, those aren't made public? That's a big reason why people are upset whenever the government tries to bail out banks. Now, we're not to that point yet. Uh, you had um, Signature Bank in New York. They were struggling. Other banks rallied around them to try to help them out. You have Credit Suisse. UBS just took them over because they got into the same trouble that SVB did. There's this old saying in business that accountants can make the books say whatever they want them to. And after taking a few accounting classes, that seems true. The way that you write things down. Like how SVB wrote down that they were honing these bonds to maturity. So it looked like they had the full value and were profiting from them. When in reality, they actually had substantial losses. Think of it like if you invest in a stock, all right? Let's say um, you invest in a stock, and one day it goes down $10. You'll say, oh, I lost $10 on that stock. Well, no, you really didn't lose $10. Now, if you sell it at that minus 10 point, yes, then you did lose $10. But until you sell it, that's an unrealized loss. It could still go back up, or it could keep going down. But until you sell it, that's an unrealized loss. That's kind of the same thing that SVB got into. These bonds weren't worth the par value. They would have to sell them at a discount because rates were going up by so much. This is where the Fed needs to watch out. Because as they keep raising rates to fight inflation, they say, hey, we got to get back down to this 2% target. But what that 2% is really supposed to be is supposed to be a measure. Uh, there's something called, I believe it's Goodhart's Law. It says that when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. That's what is happening with the Fed and inflation. They're trying to get back down to this 2% target. Really, that's supposed to be a measure. But what they're doing is they're forsaking other parts of the economy. They're hurting Americans by doing this just so that they can say, hey, we got back down to that 2% target. Look at us. We're good at what we do. Well, you say, no, you're not. Because look at all the bank failures you caused. Look at all these issues going on. Now, the other day when they raised rates, another quarter of a percent, they looked at this whole banking issue, and they said, we don't see enough right now to force us to stop raising rates. Now, I agree with that. You're not seeing enough right now of these bank failures. They're starting to be propped up by other banks, which those other banks one day might profit from doing this. But... You're really not seeing enough. So, some people started withdrawing their money from SVB. Remember, you had that $42 billion rush in one day. They're putting them in banks, which are called too-big-to-fail banks. Now, the idea behind these is, think of the biggest bank names in the world. People say, look at these. They're so big, there's no way that they're just going to collapse. The government will bail them out before they let them fail. That's where taxpayers get upset, too. So, everyone withdrawing their money. You have banks collapsing all over the place. They're these smaller banks. And it's because the Fed raised rates so rapidly that these banks started incurring such 
steep losses on their bonds. SVB could not hold those bonds to maturity like they planned on. If they had been able to, there wouldn't have been a problem. The idea was that investors wouldn't be needing to come back to the bank for their deposits anytime soon. So maybe after 10 years, after 30 years, they'll have more than enough to give those depositors. But that didn't work out because the Fed has messed up so bad since COVID ended by raising rates so rapidly from one extreme, which was near zero, to now getting closer to another extreme where they're too high. The economy can't sustain this. And it's going to lead to a hard landing, which means that we're going to be in a recession. Right now, U.S. yield curves are deeply inverted. That means that short-term yields are higher than long-term yields. That doesn't make any sense. But the Fed has put us here. That is why SVB failed. Tech industry hasn't been doing well. When rates are high, businesses can't get loans as easily because they're paying more money on that interest. So they need to go get their deposits out to fund their operations. SVB had them invested. They had to incur the loss, which caused them to collapse. And you have your 80 to 90% of SVB deposits that were uninsured over that $250,000 limit. But the government says, hey, now we'll cover anything beyond that $250,000 threshold, which eventually this might come around onto the taxpayers if matters get a lot worse and you have a lot more banks failing. Because this whole bond thing, it's not going away anytime soon. The government is going to keep trying to raise rates, the Fed will. That's going to make old bonds need to be sold at an even steeper discount. Now, if you're holding bonds to maturity, that's fine. You'll get your par value back plus whatever interest you have. That is guaranteed in Section 4 of the 14th Amendment. That's known as the public debt clause. It says that the validity of U.S. debt should not be questioned. That means that the government would stop payments on everything else to pay back that debt that they have on bonds. That's why government bonds are known as risk-free investments. Because according to the Constitution, they need to pay back that money. Now, there's a problem if you try to sell them early. Who would want to buy a lower rate bond when they could have a higher rate bond? Why would I want 2% on 1000 when I can get 5% on 1000 That is why SVB fell. Now, you also have stories about people not getting their paychecks because the online company that would pay them banked with SVB. So these accounts were frozen. People couldn't get their money. It still remains to be seen how much money people really get off of their deposits. Remember, usually in a bank failure, depositors will take a 15 to 20% hit on their deposits. That's not good. So, how can you protect your money? Well, if you have $250,000 or less than that in your bank account, you're safe. That's what FDIC will insure. As we saw with SVB, they said that they're going to try to insure beyond that. Whether they do or not, you don't know. Where that money comes from, well, that's going to be a problem too. But what you can do is you can invest in bonds. You can put your money into bonds and hold them to maturity. All right? Like I said, if you buy a bond with a $1,000 par value, 
after however many years, at maturity, you'll get your $1,000 back, plus whatever interest you earn on it. Government bonds have some pretty high rates right now. All right. SVB, their problem is they had old bonds. Right now, these bonds that are being sold by the government, when rates are high, they have high rates too. So you could put your money on there, earn very good returns on there. Right now, people are starting to withdraw their money from stocks and put them into bonds. There used to be this thing called TINA. It meant there is no alternative when referring to stocks. That meant that the return on stocks, when compared to some other form of investment like bonds, you just couldn't compare them. Stocks gave you such a great return that it was worth the risk. Nowadays, it's kind of flipped. Bonds, because of Section 4 of the 14th Amendment, as long as they're government bonds, they are risk-free. The government will pay on those. And with such high rates, you're pretty much getting the same yield or better yield on bonds than you will with stocks. And in stocks, you got to incur all that risk too. So why not go for bonds? Another thing is dividend stocks. Now, what the Fed has been doing is raising rates. This is going to hurt the economy so much that we are going to be pushed into a recession. That's what the hard landing is. Now, when will that recession come? I think you could see it around August. All right? That's not going to be good. But uh, to use an example, Coca-Cola, their stock has often been called recession-proof. Now, what this means is that during a recession, people don't have as much money to spend. If somebody wants to go buy a car, they don't really have the money to do that. They need to spend money on buying food, providing for themselves to survive. So you might see auto manufacturers. Their stocks might not do as well because someone might not be able to spend a couple thousand dollars buying a car. But Coca-Cola, it's just a couple bucks to buy a bottle of Coke, right? People love it too. Wherever you go, restaurants, you can buy Coke. You go into a gas station, a grocery store. There's Coke everywhere. People love it, and it's cheap. So, in a way, it's an inelastic good, which means that they could raise the price a little bit during the recession. They might have to lower it, but demand is pretty much going to stay the same for it. That's why it's crazy. That's why it's known as recession-proof. Also, they pay a pretty good dividend, too. So, while you hold that stock through the recession, you're going to keep collecting that dividend. You can be pretty sure that the stock price isn't going to change that much. Now, they have a beta of around 0.6, I believe, which that basically measures volatility, how it'll move with the market. It's not going to move that much. You'll be safe through the recession with that. Now, dividend stocks, that's why people love them. You'll keep making money. Now, like I said before, your realized and unrealized losses. If it, your stocks go down during a recession, maybe you have a stock that you bought for 20 bucks, and now it's worth only $5. Well, those are unrealized losses. You're sitting there collecting maybe your dollar dividend, all right? That's pretty good. But eventually, that stock's going to go back up. It should. And then maybe you're left with your $20 again. But because you didn't sell before, those were unrealized losses. You didn't really lose that much. You are just sitting back, holding on to your equity, collecting that dividend. Also, if you want to protect your money, too, 
you could put them in these too big to fail banks. Alright? Like I said before, these banks are so big, the government won't let them fall. They would bail them out before letting them fall. Your money should be safe there. But with a looming recession, looks like dividend stocks are the way to go. And also bonds. Now, if you play it right, you should be safe there. But the Fed keeps raising rates. They are really putting the economy in a bad spot right now. So, just keep watching. Keep watching your portfolios. Remember the difference between realized and unrealized losses. If you're just holding on to the equity and you see your stock price start to slip, that's unrealized losses. Just sit there. Hopefully, you invested in a dividend stock and you're collecting that dividend the whole time. That'd be pretty good. But now I hope you understand a little bit about why SVB ended up failing and how this banking crisis could end up affecting you. All right. Now, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please go ahead and share it with a couple of friends of yours. Maybe they'll like it too. Uh, I'll have a few more episodes coming out sometime soon. But until next time, y'all have a great day.